Oh, look, I can hear clattering in the background. Right, uh, just give me a levels check. I don't know what you want me to do. Just talk. Okay. Is that enough? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> you want me to keep going? You Brilliant. can't just say to somebody, just talk. I think to you, I can well, probably, say yeah. just talk. I've always thought I'd be quite good on just a minute. You'd be quite good on just an hour. <laughs> uh, right, let's do it off the back of that. Let's do a quick intro. Actually, I've just pulled my levels too high. Adjusting levels as I go is never the right way of doing a podcast. But I, <laughs> so I am doing it. It all looks very professional. It is very professional. Weirdly, you're a lot louder than I am. Well... Oh, there we go. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and after that long and rambling intro, because I'm going to leave that intact... Because it makes me smile. Uh, I'm Paul. This is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. So uh, I'm sitting with a very lovely person, uh, a lady called Helen May. Have I got that right? Oh God, I had to look at you. were looking at me blank then when I said your name and you just went, you looked at me like, I, that I know that doesn't translate <laughs> know, on a podcast. I don't know how I'm supposed to react to my own name. My head of sixth form used to read the, my name out and say Helen May and she probably will if you ask her nicely. <laughs> Scouse schooling in the late exactly, 80s. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. That's actually quite a funny joke. <laughs> yeah. It's better than, better than me call Helen Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Helen has done. I don't know. <laughs> Is there a has done? If anyone's out there has got a has, the last name did. is has done or did. <laughs> Helen did. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, political correct. If you hear the door going, that's the political correctness heading out for a, a, a cigarette in our back garden. Uh, this uh, interview is completely impromptu. Helen came for some headshots this afternoon and we got chatting and laughed a lot. And I spotted the book that she's promoting. Uh, she's just written a book. She's very clever, very funny. And I just thought she would be not just interesting as a podcast interviewee, but would also be both entertaining and useful. Useful. Funny and useful. How often does someone say funny I and useful? I don't know, but that puts people under a lot of pressure to what? go, this person's <laughs> really worried. I'd be like, I should just stop telling jokes. Or... Well, okay. We are Scouser, right? So by definition, everyone's expecting you to crack a joke. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for your help. <laughs> you how, know, how am I doing so far? <laughs> well, you, your comedic timing is exceptional. <laughs> that pregnant pause caught me right on the hop. Uh, I think as photographers, so let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, as photographers, I'm a professional photographer. The podcast primarily goes out to professional photographers or photographers who are making their way and becoming professional photographers. And as such, as business leaders, we deal with the public day in, day out. And what I spotted about your book was, do you know what, that might be an interesting topic, but it's a topic that can be quite dry. And you struck me as anything but someone who deliver it in a dry manner. <laughs> I'm beginning to shake here. I'm beginning to worry that I've made a dreadful mistake in saying, come on, come on, Helen, record a podcast with me. Tell me about your book and tell me a bit about your background. Okay, so um, if I can just say first of all that very often I do keynote speaker slots and um, then I get told, you know, that was brilliant and it was really funny and then somebody says, I've heard that you're really funny, can you come and talk about this? And right. I think, is anybody actually listening to what I'm supposed to know about this? <laughs> Which is when the dreaded imposter syndrome <laughs> yeah. comes in. Um, so my background, I did a degree in French and politics, was going to go and work in the European Parliament, decided it was a really bad idea because I'd have to be sensible. Um, became a medical rep, um, 
was on the, the, the European Pandemic Vaccine Planning Committee, but it's not my fault, um, and uh, ended up in the on the medical side, uh, sorry, on the um, uh, learning and development side, um, and set up my own business. Went into consultancy about 15 years ago after working in the corporates, where I spent most my time having to bite my tongue and... Um, I was always the one that say the thing that everybody else was thinking, but everybody else knew it was career limiting to not say it, yeah. um, uh, or to say it rather. And then um, I set up my own business in 2015 called Belonging at Work. Okay. And what does Belonging at Work do? So um, if I say the words diversity and inclusion, um, I- I'm glad that you said I, I don't, it's not very dry. Um, I, I, it can, you know, it can be a very... Yeah very dry subject <laughs> and um you know it's it's very easy for people to suddenly become very defensive as soon as you mention the words yep. um i i worked with with a client recently and walked into the room and it was just all white men and apologies to all white men me there. just and then i walk in and go oh yeah. <laughs> i can see why you need me here yeah. <laughs> which obviously was just to break the ice <laughs> but there is that sort of you know, reticence to get involved in this because people are scared of getting things wrong, people are scared of saying the wrong thing, and quite frankly, you know, people are quite sick of the whole um, debate. Um, But we've got this really deeply polarised world at the moment where you've got the people who are going, you're just woke, you're just woke, and then the others going, you're a fascist, you're a fascist. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and it's all just got out of hand, the language has got out of hand, and I hope what I bring to it is a bit of common sense and a bit of humanity, which is just, hang on a second here, we've all got to go to work. Um, The whole point is that whoever you are, whatever your identity is, if you're there with your own capabilities um, and your own talents, you should be accepted for who you are and allowed to, you know, organisation should make it a place where people can thrive. Yeah. So that's my that's my take on it, really. Okay. And so your whole ethos is about bringing the best of people into the workplace mm-hmm. and f- making that a comfortable process. What do you think... So I guess there's a couple of threads and usually I've scripted, not scripted, but I've got notes and all this and I'm making this up and trying to react uh, and also trying to watch the levels on five different dials. So forgive me if it sounds like I'm making this up as I go along. That's entirely because I'm making this up as I go along. All the best people do. Uh, So uh, I guess let me break this into two halves. There's the, the bit of pure interest, which is I'm fascinated by your background and your story. And then there's the purely the, the, the more uh, mercenary side of me, which is right. What can I learn from you? Mm-hmm. So let's start with the the other side, the interest side. What got you? How did you get into this? What is it that drove you to start looking at neurodiversity, physical diversity, all of those different variations that we, as a as a species, that we have? What drove you into getting involved with making workplaces understand that? Um, probably quite a, a lot of things, actually. I mean, there's. I think that anybody who's been in any organisation of any size and not felt like they fit in will know what the pain of that is. Yeah. Um, it, it's bizarre because we 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 tend to dilute things in the workplace into some pithy statements rather than thinking about the impact that they actually do have on people. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, everybody's talking about well-being, mental health, because, of course, these things didn't exist, you know, before 2020 or, you know, lockdown. But suddenly it's the, you know, it's it's the, the thing um, 
that every organization's going, oh, we need to do something about this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you have a look, actually, see, I'm going to teach you something now. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm actually oh my God, this me. podcast is so I useful. <laughs> um, so um, the very first office block in London was on the site of, um, well, actually, I think it was the first office block, official office block in the world was, I might have just made that up for anybody it's listening right. who it's knows right. more than me. Um, but it was it was stood on the site of where Lloyds of London is now. Yep. And um, it was the East India Tea Company. And there were lots of accounts of, that was 1760 something or other. Right. Lots of accounts of, you know, people really suffering and people finding the whole atmosphere quite oppressive. And there was a really high suicide rate. Right. Um, I mean, people were literally chucking themselves out the window because they couldn't cope with the office environment. So, of course, what we did was we built an entire city around that because we <laughs> thought it was this brilliant idea. Um, and it didn't shut down until 2020, for the very first time. That was the first time the City of London ever shut down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we started looking at going, is this the best way for us to get the best out of people, to bring them into places where um, it's cold without you know any sort of warmth, any sort of atmosphere, any sort of, um, we ask them to leave their identity at the door and come in and be corporate and do as we say and you know stay there even if they're miserable and look happy about it because God damn it, if you don't look happy when you're doing it, you're going to get told in your performance review. Um, and you know it's the first by the way do you carry any baggage with you no, just, just a lot yeah i feel I, like no. i feel like i'm part counselor part interviewer tell me how you feel i could i could um i could pro I probably carry everybody else's as well to be honest just you know carrying baggage and being a bit of a justice warrior at the same time can get quite tiring how do you how do you carry it was it a spear or a lance you know at the same time as baggage yeah yeah that's what it is <laughs> um but uh you know so so it's my my whole ethos around this is um and my reason for coming into this is i've seen what the workplace can do to people right um i've seen how people suffer and the workplace ignores it um very often it's because they're not accepted for who they yeah. are and i felt that myself but you see a sense of belonging is something it's a universal emotion that all of us can connect to um i mean if you have a look at the psychology of belonging it's just as important as our need for food and water and shelter right yeah so that if you look at this this twin studies done where um there was one mother who was um she had postnatal depression she had twins both were fed exactly the same both were kept warm um you know exactly the same sort of uh, given exactly their needs met in that way um but one of them thrived and the other one didn't right. and that was because the other one was not looked after in terms of emotionally and in terms of touch and things like that. So it's such a fundamental thing. And actually, you know, when you walk into a room, when you walk into a room, before you engage any of your five senses, the first thing you're doing is checking whether you belong in that situation. I mean, the reason we do that, it's this is this is a huge hangover from you think about primitive man. Safety was everything. You know, you, you, you had to stay safe. You had to be in a group because that's how you were fed and watered you know being in a place where you you with a group that you didn't belong put you in mortal danger um <clears throat> so that's that's where the need for belonging comes from really um but we decided to change all of this 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 idea of um you know needing to be part of a group being in and out groups all of these things that psychology has known for a long time and that we accept in real life um we decided to just put the words diversity and inclusion onto when it came into right. the workplace and start measuring it with numbers Right. Um, which um, 
drives me slightly insane, I have to say, because you know people say what gets measured gets managed gets done. Another yeah, one of those KPIs. Oh, which I always go, no, no, no. If you've ever worked in sales, you'll know that what gets managed gets fudged. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. And this is exactly what's happening with diversity and inclusion. Is it? So the people, it's it's you know. It's like, yep, we've brought all these people in now. Look how diverse we are. And, you know, you have a look at what's actually happening inside these organisations. Those people find it so dreadfully hard being in the situations, very often having to pretend to be something that they're not. In what way? Um, fitting into the corporate world. I mean, it's... Um, I'll teach you something else now. There's, there's I'm a loving this. By, it's like a day at school. Uh, Mary Beard called um, Women in Power. And it talks about why women still don't feel... Um, that they're a part of the boardroom. And it goes right back to, you know, you can go back to Socrates and Plato and all of these things where actually, you know, that the, the strength of power was, was driven then by orators. Right. So you had to be a strong orator, which was sort of what you said, how you said it, your presence. Um, and that has stayed all the way through to the boardroom today. Right. That's interesting. Um, and... It's women don't behave in the boardroom like men do, so therefore they will get talked over or ignored. Right. That is a generalisation, obviously. Okay. But that's the idea. It's not a natural way of behaving. Right. So a lot of women in the workplace, in order to get on, will find that they're actually emulating behaviours of men rather than doing something that's true to them. Right, okay. I and it gets worse when you start getting into things such as, um, uh, you know, race into disability um into things hidden differences such as mental illness um things like adhd autism um because those things are it's called masking and you know the longer you mask the more it takes its toll on your mental health so it actually you know that their whatever that their challenges are get worse because of the workplace and that so masking being sorry for my southern english friends masking but anyway uh, masking <laughs> phonetically masking I agree with you I'm from I could so you came from <laughs> Liverpool and I came from North Wales I mean I was saying earlier and laughing that literally I could stand on a hill and look down at you Scousers an attitude of mind I was more Lancashire so oh I was, I come probably... on you know I was up there looking down at you <laughs> I still am uh, the so uh, masking is the process of trying to become what you expect others yeah what you expect others would think of you or mm -hmm. would expect of you um because i think that's something that's prevalent in this industry too yet you know the, the most powerful thing we have actually all of us on our side is authenticity mm -hmm. equally when we're, we're on a subject where we're talking about modifying all of our behaviors collectively to make it a more now, you're going to use the word diverse, and I'm going to use the word more inclusive, and we'll come on to that. But literally to make everybody feel more welcome, more at home. But for you in the workplace, as a successful career-led, or you were a career-oriented woman, sorry, ah, oh, let me get all those, I know, <laughs> stumbled over that sentence really quite well. Uh, and I'm going to use the word woman deliberately because you have a viewpoint that is based around your experiences you've lived mm -hmm. this firsthand what was it like for you because you've had a quite fantastic career talk a little bit about that and then what you found how you dealt with it and now how you carry that forward into the work you're doing um so there's probably several parts to my career in that sense um I, I, you know I, I was when I was 
22, I was driving around Manchester in a Golf GTI going to see um, GPs and consultants talking about cardiology. Hang on, I'm just, I'm just going to picture that. So that would be a Mark 1 or a Mark 2 Golf GTI. So I had a Mark 1 and oh, then the Mark 2. The best. Yeah, I had a Mark 1 and it was sort of like a very, um, I can't really, like a really, really deep plum colour. Nice. Beautiful. Nice. And then I got the Mark 2, which... Nothing ever quite. No, it that. never. The it's hot hatch, that first GTI, yeah, the, the version lovely. one. It was like the Peugeot two hundred five or two hundred eight. You're, you're going to lose me in a second. I'm pretending that I know anything about cars. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I can just, I can just, pick, I can picture you in a golf around Liverpool. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it was quite a noisy little car, and it made quite a nice noise as it went. Are you saying you can picture me in it because I'm noisy? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I think it's the only car that would drown you out. <laughs> 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 by the way yes this is one of my clients yes i have only met her today <laughs> please if you're looking for photography i'm not always like this she brings it out of me honestly this lady is just uh, anyway you're driving around liverpool yep. in a, a gta which manchester, must have, manchester sorry manchester, manchester which must have been a theft target oh, on I, every absolutely. street corner yeah yeah how the um, hell did you keep hold of it? Well, it, it wasn't so much that it was the stuff that was in it, you know, that right, everything was constantly getting stolen from it. And um, oh yeah, yeah, I could tell you a whole other story about that, but I won't. It's probably not on topic, no. but um, but uh, yeah. So so I learned from quite an early age two things. Um, one is that the world of work and the corporate world will push you towards what they think right. you should do. Yeah, um, and. The other thing that I learned is that um, as a woman, you will find yourself in situations that are difficult. Right. Um, and that happened to me several times as a medical rep in right. doctor's offices, for yeah. example. Um, really? In a GP's office? Like mm -hmm. this place that's meant to be nurturing. I was locked in by one guy, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. <laughs> just to describe it, Helen's pulling a face that says, move on. Okay. No, 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 no I was... I was, I was about to just say, can we just confirm that when he locked the door, I wasn't happy about it? <laughs> it's not like I said, okay, but lock the door first. <laughs> now that, ladies and gentlemen, is inclusion. <laughs> okay, how many, how many cardiology tablets will you buy? <laughs> okay, I feel that we've gone off topic, dangerously Slightly. off topic. Um, so I learned that from an early age. The other thing is that, you know, I... I I've got quite a, um, I'm actually, I, I've got quite an outgoing personality. No. I'm actually slightly introverted Are as you? well. There's, um, so there's two sides to me, really, Jacqueline and Hyde. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm quite gregarious. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd rather be sat in a room on my own um, researching, doing some academic research right. than I would be out there selling things and talking to other people. But that's what the corporate world always tried to push me to and shape me, mould me into. Um, I, I, when I got promoted into, um, into their head office and started to develop my career in that way, that's when I started to notice the differences between me and other people. And um, first of all, that um, in situations, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really observe hierarchy. Right. Um, wasn't very good at that. Um, I, if somebody had to, if somebody said something, and it wasn't right. I didn't care who they were. I had to okay. tell them that it wasn't right. I, I did actually um, with uh, one of my doctors. I was I was recommended to go on a um, after a field visit to one of the doctors. I was recommended. It was recommended to me that I go on a um, uh, an over assertiveness course. <laughs> 
<laughs> you mean by that an, an assertiveness reduction course? Yeah, yeah. and I, because I, my manager who was out with me just said, you really shouldn't do that, you know, which is, you know, I mean, all I did was shush the cardiologist. Oh. <laughs> Told him he was wrong. Oh. Um, and I said I'd finish when I was finished. Uh, oh. But anyway, so... Um, so I'm, I'm, so I'm keeping a mental track of all these little nuggets for when I have to round the podcast off. I look, <laughs> I look for your permission yes. to turn the record off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you when I'm finished. All right. Yeah, <laughs> when you've said what you want to say. I used, to, I used to get called Pitbull by a CEO. No. Um, and, but, you know, this was the thing that I, I did. I would always get things done. Yep. Um, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Um, I couldn't keep myself organised. I was horrendous with detail um, and I would get myself quite stressed and anxious. Right. Um, and it took me until I was 40 um, to realise that, you know, this was a problem and it started really affecting me. And I was di diagnosed with ADHD then. I was going to come on And that. so you look back then at your career and there's, there's people making assumptions about me um, and about my personality, my capabilities and where I should fit in the organisation. And actually, you know, it, the, the sales side is not the natural me. That's probably more the ADHD side of me. Right. Um, and, you know, the things that I, I recognised once I'd had a diagnosis, the things that I was really good at, which is I am a complete geek. Really. Right. Um, and, and I really like to sit in a room and um, do lots of research. Yeah, it's, you know, that's that's what I really love doing. But one of the things, going back to what you were saying about the, you know, your industry and about um, how you get inclusivity and all of those different things. Um, I really liked what you said, actually, about one of the things that we do is prescribe behaviours to get people to be inclusive. And, and I often get um, clients asking me to do innovation workshops, things like that. And it's like, you want me to prescribe behaviors for people to be innovative. Um, and they do all these things like they do behavior frameworks yep. and leadership behaviors, <laughs> and all these things. And then they go, can you come in and talk to us about diversity and inclusion? Because we have got a big problem with homogeneity at senior levels. Yep. All the leadership teams are exactly the same. It's like, right, okay, can I have a look at your behavior framework, please? <laughs> And the behaviour frameworks are, you know, it, they, they, they are whitewashed, basically. They, they are very much, you know, well, this will fit into, you know, your, your typical corporate white male, I have to say, in terms yeah. culturally. Yeah. Um, they have things on that. You've got to have attention to detail. They have things on that. Um, you know, they always have a bit of integrity stuff in there, but everybody can act the integrity stuff um but they, but they will they will <laughs> you be you think that but we have a government that appears not to be so worried about it <laughs> yeah but they, they they're in a different position to um they we, we don't decide on their bonus do we that's the thing in in the leadership let's, in let's, organizations yeah, let's not get let's started. get into politics not get into politics but um you know th this is the thing we 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 wonder why everybody's the same when we're prescribing behaviors in your industry it's creative so you will have a lot of different types of people yeah. because that's how creativity comes about. Um, but to innovate, you've got to do things in a way that have never been done before. And in order to do that, you have to attract different people into the industry, any industry. Yeah. Um, if you then go and you need to behave like this in order to be successful, you know, that, that sort of virtuous circle is broken then, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's... it's yeah okay it's complicated but i still want to come back to your story b 
because I think it's important and then we can come on to what mm-hmm. we can learn from your story yep. and the story of the people you work with. So you were diagnosed age 40 mm-hmm. with ADHD yep. and I have some personal reasons for mm-hmm. uh, people close to me in my family, which I'm not going to yep. talk about on the podcast. Um, so I have a slightly elevated curiosity when I saw, or you said something, or I saw it on the fly of your book. It piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Firstly, so two questions. Firstly, what made you what was the trigger point for the diagnosis and how did the diagnosis make you feel um so the trigger point for me was um very specific and actually not uncommon for um, women of my age and it was the sudden death of my mother right and very sudden um she was 64 um you know literally sunday morning just dropped dead um and I ended up extremely depressed in a very, very bad way. Um, But I was almost hyper-focused on the grief. I couldn't couldn't lift myself out of it. I'm talking a couple of years down the line. Um, And, you know, went to see, um, I I was referred to psychiatry, saw a neurologist because I'm having lots of headaches and things as well. Um, And that was how that diagnosis came about. But this is something that is actually in the press a lot at the moment because they find that women, it tends to get missed at school in in girls because it presents very differently. Um, I mean, I had the typical um, ADHD girl. I was very academic, so it didn't really affect me. But I had the typical ADHD girl school reports, which were always, Helen's a delight to have in class, but she needs to stop talking. Um, or <laughs> Helen's a delight to have in class. Sorry, she that's ma- what I've written in my notes yeah, here. Yeah, she actually. just needs to stop talking. <laughs> um, or Hel- Helen, um, Helen manages to get her work done, unfortunately, that she then decides that she wants to distract everybody else to stop them from getting theirs done. Um, and, and it's very typical and a little bit uh, quite imaginative. I think I said to you before when I was a little girl, I wanted to grow up to be Judy Garland. That yep. was my career choice. Don't remember ever having it in the um, career. Is that not a career, career. option? From the it career wasn't there. Service. It's like you know, medicine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Judy Garland. Yeah. Can, where's, where's the Judy Garland yeah, section in the careers library? Um, but very imaginative, a little bit eccentric, um, and um, and and quite unique. Which you know, I was quite lucky because of the friends that I had, really. And um, and I went to university and I did French and politics, which just meant I had to speak French, which is love. I loved because I'm a complete francophile, read books and argue. So it's like ticked all the boxes. It was it was no effort for me. It was like Do you speak French with a Scouse accent? Apparently with an Italian accent. Brilliant. Which is unusual. Brilliant yeah. ticking a lot of European boxes there. Yeah, just I'm, I'm multicultural. Yeah, well I like to be inclusive even with my accents. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, so yeah. So that was a very def. It was a very definite reason for me being diagnosed. But this is. But why? Sorry, I'm going to come back to that. So, being at a point in your life, your mother had died. Sorry, by the way. Uh, and you spent a couple. Did of you years- kill her? No. The <laughs> 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 thing, thing with interviewing. I'm going to generalise terribly. Or I'm going to generalise very well, but in a terrible way. <laughs> With Scousers, you can always rely on a funny line, even when you're actually trying to be serious. <laughs> no, I didn't kill your mother. I didn't even know the lady. I'm sure she was lovely. Maybe if I'd have met her, I'd have wanted to. I've no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> where was I? Right. Uh, you spent a couple of years battling with mm-hmm. grief, paraphrasing a little bit, but that's kind of what you said. What was the trick? I mean, I understand the point in your life, but there are many, many routes 
that you could take for healing that or for dealing with it or for understanding it. ADHD is quite a specific one. Did you have suspicions throughout that time that ADHD was in your makeup or did you just kind of land on it? Uh, no, the main thing was my son was diagnosed. Right. Um, and he was 16 when he was diagnosed. Okay. Um, or, or that the suspected, uh, it was suspected then. Um, and he, you know, it, it was, he had a lot of difficulties as well, um, in school and things uh, with mental health and things. But, um, he was, you know, it, it was, I always knew that there was something very similar between my son and I, I'd never even thought about it really. Right. Um, and, but also it was starting to be talked a little bit more about in, from an innovation perspective. And I was reading things about ADHD thinking, well, doesn't everybody do that? Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, it's just, well, what, what, is that abnormal to, for people to think that way? Or, um, and so it was, you know, I, I, at the same time, my, my um, nephew was also diagnosed as being autistic. Um, and... It was really, you know, it, it was a, a meeting of lots of different events and the timing and things like that, I think. That's the, but apparently an awful lot of people get um, neurodevelopmental diagnoses as adults when their children do. Yes, I've, uh, for mm. various reasons, yeah, clued up on that. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, one question I suppose I do have. Uh, hang on, let me, let me backtrack. Because I, I asked you two questions. You've answered one. Did I? Yeah. Which I'd like to say that I've done that on purpose, like, you know, the way politicians do. Oh, media damn it. Training. I now I can't remember my questions. There you go. Damn it. You've just taught me round by... I know. I didn't it's know it was a party. Scary. How would I know that was a party? <laughs> I had no way of knowing it was a party. I wasn't breaking any rules. What rules? <laughs> who? Who? What? Who made the who rules? Who are you? Why am I here? <laughs> this is I'm just, just a I'm, wallpaper I'm, consultation. Just, I, I come back to the honourable <laughs> honourable speaker. <laughs> uh, where was I? I asked you two questions. One was what... Right. The second question, which you haven't answered, was how did you react? How did that make you feel when you got the diagnosis? It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing, actually, because um, you have these sort of two polarised emotions. One was, oh, I see. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Is, is that one of those... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and I tell lots of... Like, I tell my, my friends from school and things, and they go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're still friends now. They've known me all my life. We've sort of known that all your life, to be honest. Um, but then the opposite side was um, there's. I think a lot of people that when it happens later in life, there's almost like a grieving process that goes on. Right. Um, but one of the the what I think is one of the beautiful things about that grieving process is that for the very first time. I had self-compassion. Right. Interesting. Because I looked back at where I'd struggled on things and rather than thinking I'm not good enough and it's all me and it's, you know, I, I need to learn how to do this or I need to learn how to do that, I sort of looked back and thought, well, gosh, you know, I, I've really struggled through these things without knowing that this was something that I couldn't, had no control over. Right. Um, and, and actually that self-compassion, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for that diagnosis, because I'm, obviously I can't swear on here, but... No, you, you can. It's, uh, you're absolutely uh, fine. It was a bit of a fuck it moment for me. <laughs> I, and I just thought, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. And, and, and I'm going to lean into the things that I know I'm good at 
and um, you know, I, and I walked out of my job, um, and I set up my own business. And you know, since then, obviously, I've, I've written a book. Um, I do quite a lot of pro bono work with neurodivergent young people. Yeah. Um, and, and I've got two businesses, which, you know, without that diagnosis, I don't know that I would have done that. Right. Um, but it is that thing of, I know, what, I know what I'm good at. I know what I can do. I know what I can't do now. And I know that's okay. Just get somebody else to do those bits. There's so many threads to pick up on. Um, I've, I've written a couple of, so try and help me remember. Um, but as an aside, you won't know this because you didn't even know I had a podcast. And this was definitely, uh, we're both... Well, I think I'm fortunate. You may be having second thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that at the end of the shoot, uh, there's a gap in my diary and yours that yeah. said we could have this conversation. You won't know that the end of every single one of my podcasts, all 119 episodes I've recorded so far, have one single line at the end, mm-hmm. which is to be kind to yourself. Right. Yeah. Because as photographers, I think creatives in general punish themselves. Totally. Um, you know, you look at what you're doing today. You look at what you did yesterday. Yesterday was no good. Today is good. I hope tomorrow is better. You know, mm-hmm. it's that con- constant punishment cycle. And that's, I just, I mean, I laughingly, I said, be kind to yourself because my boss is an absolute git. It just happens that my boss is me. Mm. You know, I wouldn't want to be me working for me. And here I am. And it's, and it's very, you know, that's why there's so much anxiety in the creative industries because um, I think there's a lot of the feeling of, even when you do something brilliant, you feel, I can't rely on that yeah. happening again. Well, you're only as good future. as the last, in my case, mm. the last shot taken yeah. or the last song recorded or mm. written or the last film acted. I photographed a, a film and stage actor this morning and talked about the same thing. He's also going to come on the podcast to talk about performance anxiety and adrenaline mm. things and all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, but, but you were in the diary after him, so I couldn't have done it after that. <laughs> See, I told you, it's fortunate. So the, the second thing I just wanted to pick up on, and I'd already written it down, and then you kind of touched on it, which was without ADHD, or possibly without the understanding of your ADHD, you wouldn't have been able to achieve much of what you had. And the question I was going to frame, and I don't know if I need to reframe it given what you kind of added on, was are there ways in which this particular part of your your neurodiversity the ADHD part of you, are there ways in which that's helped you do and achieve what you have and are? Oh, God, completely. In what ways? In, in every way. In every, But even since I was a child. Um, it, you know, it's the thing, even the speaking out, the opinionated thing, you know, that it's... Um, luckily, my opinions are brilliant, so... <laughs> When I when I um, use voice them inappropriately, at least they're good. Um, but you know the, the sort of being opinionated, um, being able to talk to you know talk to people. Hyper curious. All my life been hyper curious, um, and I think that's you know I, 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 there was an article I wrote called ADHD and Me, and it was very much about that. You know while 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 your brain is deciding where you should start on a project, my brain's skipping down the road, um, climbing trees, looking through people's letterboxes, um, and you know looking up at the stars <laughs> and trying to work out what that could mean for how the project starts. Um, and so you know for that it's. I, I feel very blessed by it and I, I'm i insightful, I have a lot of intuition and I've never understood, you know, why, where that comes from but it is that 
a brain that thinks very differently, that doesn't think in a line, that thinks in patterns, looks for patterns in things, yeah. comes up with new stuff. There's there's so much of what I do I wouldn't be able to do without it, including writing a book, you know, doing a master's, um, uh, you know, running a couple of businesses, running a house, having three dogs, whatever else, um, two children. Um, <laughs> Sound like that weatherman. Remember that, that, that the news reader that day was going. This is this is John Roberts reporting from Manchester, pissed off <laughs> in the rain. Um, but you know, I've got all of those things, and I can do them because um, not not because I'm hyperactive, which is what people think it is. That ADHD is it's nothing to do with being hyperactive, but because I'm interested in the things that I do. Yeah. And um, and my hyper focus is crazy off the scale in 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 terms of writing and like up at 4 30 in the morning and can get on and write you know a chapter of a book before everybody else gets up very good uh i wish i could <laughs> he said just remembering as, as you said that's oh yeah i've got another article to write for the magazines <laughs> it came in email awful <laughs> pass it to me i, I, I can't i, I can't i told my son recently that i reckon i could write an essay on any subject except physics and chemistry and he's trying to think now of one an yeah. essay to give me I could, I could probably throw you some titles from our side as well uh no the thing for me is i find my headspace starts about 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and for some reason the noise stops all of it uh, my day is chaos my head is chaos but at about 10 o'clock half 10 everything just calms down and slows and that's when i'm at my most clear thinking, mm. if not my most productive. It's probably not my yeah. most productive, actually. I probably don't write an article. I probably write the first paragraph 12 times, you know. But you can, you, but you can think clearly. That's the uh, thing the, you're the, able to the think. The noise stops. Yeah. As long as I've got the right thing in front of me, that's useful. If I've got the wrong thing in front of me, we're buggered because yeah. I've forgotten completely to do what I was supposed to do. <laughs> now, now, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm now following a wormhole. Oh, I mean, I, I, I can I can be, you know, researching something to do with performance management systems and then find myself shopping for a new front door. <laughs> <laughs> All the best buys are done at that time. You know, just yeah. everything, just, um, you know, go down so many different rabbit warrens. Yeah, Sarah will say, did you write that article? And I say, no, but we've got a new TV coming. <laughs> 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 or you've learned something uh, did about you a know? new random yeah. area that... Yeah. And Sarah's like, oh, God, <laughs> here we go again. Uh, question, the next question I was coming on to, I don't think you really touched on it. You sort of skirted around it, which is that you get a diagnosis of something like ADHD, and then I'm assuming the, the team or the consultant that's working with you will say, what do you want to do about that? What's going to be your coping mechanism? And I guess my question is, what did you choose as your coping mechanism? Was it... A, a, a drugs assisted route was it counseling was it simply now you have this understanding of all yourself of yourself is to simply embrace the me um or is it a combination of all of those um yeah i i, I think it is a combination of, of all of those things so i i do have medication i don't take it all the time but when i know that i'm having an adhd day um I will take the medication because i can do the most ridiculous things oh do tell oh so um, I was going into, um, I was caught the train in Oxford to go to London for a birthday lunch. Um, and I, it was 11.30, I hadn't had a drink by this point. Um, I, I like had, the fact that that's the qualifier. I hadn't had a drink at this point. Most, well, like most people 
that no people would go, but you had a glass of wine. <laughs> no. Or well, little, little gin and tonic pan. You know, I have one of those in my bag, yeah. Um, but I had, so, so if you've got ADHD, there's, there's like a sensory thing going on as well. So, you know, too many things going on at once. There's so much going on in your brain anyway. It can get quite confusing. So um, I had a cup of coffee in my hand. Um, I had my mask in my hand to, I had to put on before I got on the train. And I was holding on to my phone. Uh, somebody had just called. And I had to get on the train. And, and I was thinking, something's going to give, something's going to... I can't work out what I've got to do here. got on the train, um, caught my shoe, didn't quite react quick enough. It was a stiletto heel. And as the doors closed, I just watched it tumble onto the track. Oh, no. So I'm there in one stiletto heel, um, locking onto a track as the train goes away, thinking, what am I going to do? You can't hop in a... Um, no. And um, it gets worse, this story, because... Oh, no. I ended up having to go, uh, sort of get into Oxford Street and go into a shop and buy a pair of shoes. But while I was on the train, I decided to put my makeup on as well and got interrupted by a phone call. Um, so there I am walking up Oxford Street, uh, lovely sunny day, shoe in one hand, bare feet. Um, people looking at me very strangely. I'm waving the shoe at them going, mm, like the they're supposed to know that obviously yeah. it had fallen onto a the train good, The track. good news is it looked like you'd had a drink. Yes, it did, <laughs> well, it did yeah. But I, I'm not even sure that it did once I tell you the next bit. Um, and went into the shop. Um, everybody was staring at me. The lady on the tailor was going, oh, I dropped, my, I dropped my shoe onto the track. I'm about to buy a new pair of shoes. And she's looking at me as if to say, you know, I might have to press the emergency button here. Um, when I was leaving the store and went to put the shoes on, I looked into the, one of the long mirrors and um, I had just dotted this makeup all around my face that wasn't even meant to be something you dot all over your face so i was there barefoot with one stiletto on my heel looking like i had war paint on nice that's an adhd day that's an you. adhd day and the, and you and you can feel that coming on can you or do you oh. just wait until you look in the mirror and there's makeup all over her and you say well today I no need no to take my very often i wake, wake up in the morning and, and you'll know yeah i once threw my keys out of a train window um for it was one of those. It was one of those trains where you push the window down. Oh yeah. Had too many things going on in my hand and stuff, and so pushed it down and just threw the keys out. And uh, so the, it was luckily coming into the station, and the driver got them off the side of the track for me. Um, he gave them to me. I still had the key. I had the keys in my. Ha I had my phone in my hand. And he hand, went to hand me the keys, and I went with the same hand that I had my phone in, and just dropped that on the floor and took the keys. <laughs> No, I'm beginning to worry about my microphone. <laughs> yeah. I'm just watching that mic stand. You just stay away from my kid. <laughs> so, yeah, so it is when I have bad yeah. days, okay. I know. Um, and um, and I also know if it's going to be, I've got to do a lot of things in that day. I don't know whether you've have ever heard of it, but in disability, they call it spoons. No. That you start off the day with a number of spoons. I don't know why spoons. Um, but um, it, see, my brain's gone off now. Yeah. I lost the thread because I was thinking, why could it be spoons? Could it have anything to do with spooning? <laughs> I've no idea. That would be weird. <laughs> Which obviously that it's would not. Be very strange. Um, but um, you start off the day with with a number of spoons, and then each time you do something that uses energy in the disability. Go on. What was that for? It's me moving the mic. Oh right. Gradually, you've moved. Have I? Yeah. I should explain to anyone listening. We we do we're I've, recording I, this on an L. <laughs> don't do that I will need to move the mic again I'm just again. lowering myself down. you're just uh, gradually it's, getting it's like I'm on the psychotherapist couch <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 
lying down as you're asking me questions. And then and when I was does, four, my mother told that me that I was feel, ugly yeah. and yeah, I've, was I've often said I'm not again. a counsellor. Stop telling me this shit. <laughs> Uh, no, I was moving the mic because the story is really interesting, but gradually it was sounding more and more. more, and more, more, more <laughs> I'm leaving the room. Yeah, and I cannot, <laughs> I'm just dragging you back into the room, really. Um, I can't remember what I was talking about. Were you talking about spoons? Oh, yeah. So things that are normal, like quite easy to a lot of people are quite difficult if you've got right. a neurodivergent condition. So, um, you know, if you've got to get from one place to another and you've not been there before, um, it, you know, you can get yourself into quite a mess, which I've, I've got done that. that quite a lot of times as well. And... Um, uh, so, so that will use a spoon, right? Whereas most people won't have that. So by the time you get to the end of the day, you'll be exhausted. Right. So if I know that I've got lots to do in the day and it's going to be stressful for me, then that's when I'll use medication. Okay. One of the most important things, um, it, and this is this is a lot of the work that I do in organisations as well around neurodiversity, is it, the biggest thing is the people around you, and the people around you understanding the things that you do um, and giving you support where you need it. Um, at, in ADHD, there's a thing called time blindness, um, which is literally, it's it's like colour blindness. Right. Um, I have no idea how anything's, how long anything's going to take me. So invariably, I commit myself to far too many things. And it, you know, there used to be a Catherine Tate character who used to go, I can do that. that that's me. I can do that for you. Um, but, I, you know, I, I can't tell how long anything's going to take me. I can't tell how long it's going to take me to get anywhere. Um, a big joke has always been, well before this diagnosis, I think it takes me 45 minutes to get everywhere from my house. Right. Even though I know instinctively it doesn't take me 45 minutes to get from my house to London. In my head, I'm thinking, well, I need to be there by once, 12 now, or even 15 minutes. Um, it's just, it's, it's an actual thing, this time blindness. Um, and it used to drive my dad insane because he's a real stickler for time um but once he understood then actually i can't help this you know it's not something i'm doing willfully then he tries to help a lot more with it but what by lying about deadlines oh yeah so be like, there we've, for got, 10. Uh, we've got to be there we, we need to leave in 20 minutes no we don't we need to leave in an hour and a half <laughs> um but you know there's a lot there's lots of things like that and one of the things is that in the workplace if it's not understood you know it's it's going to cause a lot of... I mean, there's been so many tribunals recently. There's more and more coming up for um, particularly people with autism where they've been dismissed or put in a performance improvement plan or there's not been reasonable adjustments made because it's, you know, it's not understood enough. Um, and it's great, you know, for your family to, you know, this is, this is what it means, this is the impact that it has on me and for them to support, but then you go out into the workplace and nobody quite gets why, you know, you can't proofread three lines of text <laughs> like i can't um then they, they will think that it's something that's willful on your part or something right. that you can help yeah okay so uh what have i written down got all of those got that got that uh, i want to talk to you about the work that the this helen may associates does mm -hmm. i'd like to i'd like you to talk about that and and why you sit is it it's a foundation have i understood no so that's that's diverse futures so right okay the, yeah. one, one then so helen may associates is you've done so many things even i've lost track I, i've lost track to be <laughs> I, i'll often think do you know what helen feel free talk about whatever you I, want i, I and once I'll set pick up, up a hat thread. business um my dad and i had an antiques business for a while all in the past few years these things um 
you know, so I do have to sometimes go, what, what do I do these days? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that business. Right. But so Diverse Futures is a community interest company. And um, it's, it, it where I do a lot of pro bono work at the moment through that, but looking to um, set it up much more um, as a social enterprise to help um, young people from age 16 to 25 with neurodivergent conditions as they transition through various things. Um, but one of the areas that I'm particularly passionate about is um, the transition into apprenticeships. Now, transition into apprenticeships for any 16-year-old is difficult because they're suddenly expected to behave like an adult in the, you know, when yeah. they've never had to do that before. And they're not adults, they're yeah. 16 years old. And that often causes tension. Um, but those with neurodivergent conditions, that's a lot more stressful. And particularly in ADHD, <coughs> where um, if, if they've, you know, very often they've had very poor experiences at school, they have no qualifications. Um, they might come from very low socioeconomic backgrounds where they've had difficult, chaotic childhoods anyway. Um, and when they start in the, you know, very often the apprenticeship is their only choice. Um, if they don't stick in that apprenticeship, their life outcomes are going to be significantly worse. 42% right. um, of repeat offenders in prison um, are men with ADHD. And substance abuse, um, psychiatric illness, um, relationship breakdown, divorce, which I can talk to you a lot about. Um, <laughs> uh, is that appropriate? I don't know if it is. No, probably not, no. no. Um, but, uh, you know... It, relationship breakdown um suicide and early death of early death from any causes um there's lots of physical things associated with it. also you know you're, you're you're likely to die in an accident particularly if you're involved in not the right sort of thing is very very high but there's there's a real need to help these kids at 16 to 18 to stay in that um that, that apprenticeship where they can mature slightly where they are understood and they're allowed to succeed um, because otherwise they'll look for something else to mm. feel that they belong in. So they'll look for gangs or whatever else, or yeah. they will start to self-medicate with drugs and things. Um, and so I'm doing some research at the moment into what makes them stick or what could make them stick. So, And I, I've done some work. Uh, so I, I did some work with Blenheim Palace and worked with um, the loveliest, loveliest young man called um, Max, um, who's completed his apprenticeship now and just saw how he transformed during that time, just from me going to see him once every couple of weeks, walking around with him, talking to him about what his challenges were and how to deal with them. And that's all it takes. And the difference to their lives is, you know, it's there's no value you can put on that, really. No, well, yeah, no, there isn't. Mm. Um, but as a organisation, you have to. I mean, you're gonna yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's one of the things that we're, we're looking for different ways to, to sort of fund this at the moment. Um, I mean, you can, we can get funding from access to work, which a lot of people don't know for, you know, um, for ADHD, dyslexia, autism. Um, you can get funding for coaching for, for that. And, and it's just not told enough to these kids in the yeah. schools. Um, but also there's there's an argument for social prescribing as well, which is, you know, that um, the NHS commissioners, local commissioners are starting to look a lot more at actually what can we do outside of medicine that can help people to thrive. So that's another um, area we're exploring as well. Okay, well, keep me posted on that. And, uh, you know, keep... I'd love to have like an update yeah, yeah, yeah. in a year's time. Yeah. Uh, so last year, uh, you're one of those people, a little bit like me, I suspect, in that if you put you in a dark room, you'd still find some way of being busy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably annoyingly busy. Uh, so during the lockdown, you wrote a book and you 
took a master's in psychology, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Why did you do the master's? What was it about that that drove you? Um, well, first of all, it's, you know, it's what I've worked in, really, unwittingly. It fell into at some point from transitioning from politics, but, um, it, you know, academically from politics. But uh, what the master's gave me the opportunity to do is a lot of it you can sort of self-direct the subject. Right. So it allowed me to do much more research into... Um, I would choose neurodiversity and neurodevelopmental conditions for most of my um, research and and assignments. So it gave me um, the opportunity to do what I love doing, which is researching like a geek, um, and to get a qualification for it and learn a lot more about something that I'm incredibly passionate about personally and professionally, um, and that would help me then with this this idea of how do we help people to transition, which is what I'm focused on, both in the private business, Helen May yeah. Associates, um, and in, in the community interest company as well. Right. And then, obviously, you've written a book as well. What came first, the PhD, sorry, the Masters of the Book, the Book of the Masters? Um, both of them, which was... Um, I, it, so, so my dad works with me, and we had an office at the time where be, before lockdown, and it's just before lockdown. Lockdown had just sort of happened, and... And then both of these things had come through just before lockdown. Dad said, um, I'm listening. I thought you were going to tell me because I'm kicking the thing. I've just reached for your book. I'll be back. There I am. I'm back. There we go. I just, I just, as you do at the beginning of the podcast, I got the book ready and then left it out of reach. Yeah, your arms aren't that long. I'm not Inspector Gadget. See, a lot of kids wouldn't know what that was. They? Da, 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 I have to sing it to my son, my <laughs> nine-year-old. And he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Because I'll go, I'll go, look at me, go, go, gadget arms. Yeah, but weirdly, it was a man in a raincoat with oh, yeah. gadgets under his coat. Yeah, he could, done, he could have used them for, uh, <laughs> like, not just sort of... Weirdness. But all sorts of, like, bada, bada, bada. criminal <gasps> activity and things. Yeah, imagine he? having gadgets like that. Yeah, I mean, he would have been a brilliant pickpocket. <laughs> Why set your sights so high? <laughs> he could climb buildings. He could reach the top of. He could reach aircraft from the sky, and you're like, he could pick your pocket. That's a scouser talking, isn't it? He'd be brilliant. Hey, hey, just watch what he, he can take your back don't, pocket. Don't, uh, should we start on? You're, you're from North Wales. <laughs> North Walians, don't they call you North Walians? Even the scousers were scared to come to my area. Yeah, well, probably because sh- what you were doing to the sheep. <laughs> I had to get that in, even though it's a... <laughs> I did it. You'll know this. There's a hill near us called Molfamai. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of the tallest hill in that particular bit of the region. And there's a nice walk up it. It's a fairly... Do they call trees? Do they call trees? Do they call... Hill... <laughs> Do Sorry. they call hills tall? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a it's hill, right? It's the tallest hill. Is it oh, not the highest? highest? I suppose it's the highest. I don't know. <laughs> Now I feel really bad. <laughs> what height are you? <laughs> when you stood on Molfama, you can see Snowdonia, them's mountains. Molfama is not a mountain, it's a hill. But, so what does the difference? You, you say that mountains are high, but hills are tall. I've no idea. You've, you've decided that. You, you've, you've made that differentiation. Right. I was going to recommend people read this book. Now I'm just thinking, <laughs> get out of my studio. <laughs> it's the highest hill <laughs> in the mm-hmm. region. But it's not particularly high. And I was walking up there and there was a Scouse school, you know, probably, I say Scouse, it might have been Berkinez or somewhere, you know, that sort of come over for a oh, right. country Was visit. it like our day out, Willie Russell's our day out? I think it might have been. 
And halfway up this hill, I heard this small child. I suppose you could have a large child before you pick me up on my use of words. <laughs> child. <A> high child. <laughs> high child. <laughs> a low child. <laughs> and, he's, and he said, literally, say, say. I say, obviously, I'm doing my best at a child's scarce accent. Say, say. What's them white things in the fields? <laughs> to which this teacher said, those are sheep, son. Those are sheep. <laughs> I couldn't. Really? You didn't know that? <laughs> I mean, to us, they're a Don't. love interest to them. People have never seen them. <laughs> Probably best stay away from them. <laughs> Catch something from them, from the locals. But it, I, think, I think it was a different child when they got to the top and the one child forlornly say, where's the chippy? You said there'd be a chippy. You just made that up. No, there's no chippy. At the, no, I mean, that's what he said. And there is no chippy at the top of Mulvamai. There isn't. It's just I, a castle. There's no chippy. I would imagine there wouldn't be a chippy, but... I, yeah, I, but if you're like six years old... I think I, you've made that up. I haven't made that up. Uh, you just wanted to make the end the story. <laughs> end the story with a chippy story. On a, on a tall note. <laughs> tall, sto- tall stories. Come on. Work with very me. good. Looped it back round. Yeah. Anyway, on that, having gone to the effort of stretching my Inspector Gadget arm. Yeah. <laughs> clearly unsuccessfully because <laughs> I had to disappear from Mike to do it. It wasn't so much the disappearing from Mike. That wouldn't have mattered. Had you not shut up and watched me do it? <laughs> yes, but it's not. People can't actually see the room. But no one would You've have known. Suddenly no one would have you known. Were sort no. of limboing no. underneath <laughs> the microwave. <laughs> microwave. The, the, the microwave. ping. And just no one, sort of. No one would have known. Popty ping. Yeah, it's not real. But nobody would have known had you not just stopped talking to watch me do it. You the car- I think it. I was. thought you were going to tell me off for tapping my foot. No, what I was thinking was, you carry on talking. I'll reach for the book. This will be seamless. Instead, <laughs> we've gone up a me. tall mountain or tall hill. <laughs> we, I've, I've had the Mickey taken out of me, which I think is frankly unfair. Uh, but in the interest of fairness, I will leave it in the take. Uh, I went to pick up your book. Hmm. It says everyone included except people that think hills are tall. Uh-huh. <laughs> the title of the book. Everyone included. It's on Pearson Business Press uh, by Helen May. Uh, subtitle of Improve Belonging, Diversity and Inclusion in Your Team. Which brings me on to two threads, which are the sort of closing out threads. Big threads, but closing out. One is, talk to me a little bit about what's in your book and why people should read it or buy it and read it, of course. It's available as an ebook as well. Um, and then the second, of course, the most important thing for me and for people like me who run small businesses is how do we get better? I'm not going to say what can we do because I think this is a, a this is an evolution of approach. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to know a mindset, a way of helping us think as business leaders, in particularly client-facing businesses like ours, how do we think in a more inclusive way to improve the diversity and how people feel about that. Yeah. But talk about your book first. Okay. This is your book. What was the first question? <laughs> Tell me a bit about your book. Sell it to me. Okay. So, um, so the book is... Um, Second it, book's going to be memory games and how to remember what you were asked. <laughs> Just, uh, no, it'll be part... What would be the um, follow-up to the last book, which I can't remember <laughs> what it was. Um, so, so this book um, is... It's, it's not your typical approach to diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm very opinionated and gobby in it. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite, uh, quite stompy-feeted about... Stompy, stompy-footed oh, about... Right, oh, right. I so hang on. Let, you, you laughed at me for using the <laughs> word tall, and now you're stompy-feeted. 
<laughs> stumpy footed or stumpy footed? I, I don't, don't think either of them are words. Stumpy footed is a word. No, I'm but go look you know what up. I mean. Yeah, I'm not even sure stumpy. It's a five letter word, so it, well, that won't even appear on Wordle. St- oh, don't you talk to me about Wordle. <laughs> don't get me started on Wordle. Anyway, so um, stomp. I stomp my feet quite a lot in it um, about the corporate world and about its ridiculousness. But I also put it in the context of where we are now as as not just as a nation actually globally which is this huge polarization of um of thought that you know that this huge polarization of of, um people around you know what's right and what's wrong and um you know you you, you, we never thought years ago that we would have seen people storming capitol hill as they did um which interestingly my favorite story about the capitol hill thing is that you know the guy with the you know the guy with the 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 horns that yeah um so so he was arrested and he was um remanded in custody and his mum um was the press said you know how was he and she said he was really really upset because he hadn't eaten for a long time because they wouldn't give him vegan food he's a vegan well it's not so much that he was a vegan as in you can't storm capitol hill and then be precious about your vegan food <laughs> you know <laughs> they're a little bit just a bit so but he was roaring with a spear in his hand wasn't he yes it was all, it just, uh, just what, does he, what does he face. hunt with his spear carrots weirdness democrats <laughs> <laughs> it took a minute for that to sink in. Yeah, you're um, probably right. That was his so, target. So, so, you know, we, we never thought we'd live... We, ne- we never thought we'd have Boris Johnson for Prime Minister. We never thought Brexit would happen. You know, all these things that just over the past few years, and it's this huge polarisation. And one of the things that is really quite terrifying is that year on year since 2015, the amount of people who say that they never, ever hear news that they don't agree with... Yeah. ...goes Echo, up. Echo chambers. And that is terrifying. And, you know, so, so this book, I talk about that in this context. And I go, actually, you know, because of what's happening in the media and in the world, there's an increased responsibility of organisations to get this right, you know, to bring the humanity and the decency back into the world and into life. And so, you know, that sort of human kindness that it's about um, letting people be who they are, accepting it and supporting them where you can um and and actually giving people who don't normally a voice have a voice a voice is is you know it's not just it's a, a work obligation and a legal obligation it's a moral obligation sorry people who have a voice i'm just moving <laughs> your microphone I'm, again i'm honestly, people who i'm pe- boring myself <laughs> <laughs> giving, pe- giving people a voice means it gets moving about, the microphone it gets about, a, to about 11 o'clock at night i'm still going like this but i just in the end just, just drop off at the end of the sentence nice um yeah uh so so yes yeah, so, so this is this is the context within which I, I talk about this but sort of you know saying if we're going to do this we need to strip out all the nonsense that's in organizations you know stop publishing values because you know I shouldn't say this because I'm a consultant myself and I've done lots of values work for organizations but they're all the same yeah they are and they don't represent anything no. um so don't have values ask people what their values are and, and you know make that important um you know don't say you know we want everybody to unite around purpose let everybody else have that have their own purpose and that be the thing that they're united around um stop having behavior frameworks um you know stop putting out pithy statements around mission and and things like that because they're just they're nonsense Mm -hmm. bring the human back into it you've got commercial things to achieve um or you've got things to achieve in, in the public sector you know make people happy there make them thrive 
and you will be successful. Uh, but you're not going to do it if we keep layering bureaucracy and bureaucracy over and over again. Um, and yeah, so, so that's but the other thing I say in there towards the end is there's a, a chapter on it's all down to you. And I put that in the way that it's all down to you, as in you need to be kind to yourself and accept yourself first before you do this, which is probably why an awful lot of leaders in organizations don't behave mm -hmm. in the right way because an awful lot of it is, is just offensive behavior and things. Insecurity led. It, totally. Mm -hmm. um, and and also that they everybody's sort of fitting into this this corporate mold, um, whether it's a small business or, or you know a huge business. Um, but you know you need to take care of yourself and you know I sort of end it on there's there's an organization called um, there's a, a movement really called the othering and belonging Institute and um, they are part of um, Berkeley in the US the, the university there mm -hmm. and there's a European equivalent but they're very much about all the different areas of life how you create this belonging so that we get um, you know a fairer more you know socially just world yeah. um, and they're brilliant you know I find them utterly inspiring in all of the work that they do um but one of the things that i read was you know it takes i think it was 20 percent of a group of people to create a movement um and you know, well the last line in the book is if that's the case you know we can all have a part in this yeah um and we can all be a part of that movement just by shifting our attitude towards humans and what they need and away from you know this nonsense that we've created in the workplace let's not talk diversity and inclusion let's just talk being kind to people yeah i mean it's always been my yeah you know i've been chair of various photographic organizations and it's always my what i would say is mm. make it a nice place to be that's a fairly good starting point yeah absolutely kindness um and all the rest of it um the book is called uh, everyone included i'll put a link in the show notes show notes um pearson business publishing uh, also available as an ebook i'm gonna guess it's on amazon it's at Amazon, Blackwell's, W. H. Smith's, Waterstones. I'd like to say it's brilliant, but I haven't read it. <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> well, you wrote it, so that's what you think. <laughs> no, I did. I did. There's, there's no ghostwriting. No, there's no ghostwriting. Uh, no, when you read it, you'll go, "Yes, you definitely wrote it," because I do go really gobby at yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I suppose it's an extension of what you've just described. Small businesses, photographers predominantly, particularly in my case, portrait photographers. How do we just make, I'm not going to say how do we change the world because that takes time and a lot of people and processes and steps. But how do we make the first step? What's the first simple thing every portrait or every wedding photographer could do? Just just makes life a little bit better. Um, one of the things that I would say is seek to understand what you don't understand and seek to speak to people that you wouldn't normally speak to. So that's two things. Um, no one expected I've the got, Spanish Inquisition. I've got, I've got another eight. If you want to. <laughs> no, but but genuinely, yeah. you know, if you look at people's phones, the last ten messages they've sent, they're pretty much like them. Um, when we want to, somebody's opinion on something, we go to somebody we like. You better go into somebody you don't like or you don't understand. Right. If you start to actively demonstrate curiosity, you will find that. Not only will you grow, but actually you make the lives of so many other people better. And you will probably improve the, the diversity and that sense of belonging within your industry. Brilliant. I think that's a, it's a lovely and succinct state of mind, really. It's, mm. it's a curiosity state of mind. Completely. 
It's uh, <laughs> obviously watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I mean, it's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a lesson in philosophy. Of course, it's, yeah, just, it's, it's much rich. deeper. Hmm. It's much deeper than an American football coach in, working <laughs> exactly. in London. Uh, but there was a thing in there. He talks about curiosity. Hmm. And I thought it's, 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 it's a really useful, one of many things that you need to do. But a curiosity, listening. I like the idea of speaking to people that you wouldn't necessarily agree with. Mm. Uh, my father-in-law, I remember famously the first time I met him and went down to stay, uh, well, it was 30 years ago, um, his house, and there's a Daily Mail. Now, mm. I, as people know me, will know my politics are not that. Um, I would suspect even if people's politics are that, they still shouldn't read the Daily Mail because it's not, there's not going to be facts in it. It's just comic. It's anyway, he reads it. Mm. And I'm like, I said to Sarah, I thought your dad was not that politic. He's a mm. smart guy, super one of the smartest people I've ever met. Lovely guy, intelligent, switched on, reads the news, listens to the news. So eventually I said, why do you read the Daily Mail? I can't stomach that paper. And he said, it's far better to understand what the people you don't agree with are saying than it is to understand what they are, my, what my tribe is saying, because I know what my tribe is saying. Totally. And, I, and that's the years and I'm, I, 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 guy. I read the Telegraph for yeah. exactly that reason, you know, that you can see the, the extreme responses to things by if you just it's that echo chamber thing again you know if you just read the the news that you feel connected to you know in terms of the the voice you won't learn anything but i think that's true of books and things as well so i've just read um freedom of speech by a guy called andrew doyle because um i i have this whole thing of you know where do you go from freedom of speech to hate speech um and do people are using freedom of speech as as an excuse these days and we could go into things such as the just be Charlie and things like that and when you look at the ethics of that it's so it's not as black and white as no. people te- seem to think but um, I made myself read this book because I thought I'm, I'm not I, I'm not being authentic if I'm saying you know I, I don't like the way freedom mm. of speech is being used if I don't necessarily understand everything about it um of course I got to the end of the book and I've still got the same opinion and I was right <laughs> but course, as, as you stated earlier <laughs> yeah. you were right <laughs> but the thing is that you have to read things like that I mean, sometimes you will read something or hear something where you go, actually, I, I get that, hmm. you know, and, and it's challenging your own opinions as well, I think. It's really important. Brilliant. Uh, okay, I'm going to close out the podcast with our normal invited guest footnote, which is give me the name of a book that would be of interest or inspiring to photographers that we we actually do have nearly all of the books here <laughs> the other day two people mentioned two books that are 50 quid each and there's a limit to what i'm willing to pump into my little library the rest of the books we have i've i've gone out and found them secondhand uh, and we have them on our shelves give me a book that uh, i can tell our lovely listeners uh, so i keep a book there's a book that i keep next to me all the time at my desk um and this comes back to the sort of um challenging uh, your, your own thinking um, as well as curiosity and it's called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Dobelli and um, it's it's all about natural cognitive biases that we have and um, it gives you know this I think there's something like 150 or something like that in there in these sort of two page or one page yeah. almost like it, 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 it'll tell an anecdote and then talk about what it means yeah. um, but it's it's a great way. I keep it next to me because I mean I use it a lot in my work anyway. I, when I talk to people about cognitive bias and decision making and why we make ridiculous decisions, um, but I do keep it next to me when I'm you know working on something to think 
in my approach to this or my opinion on this, is there a bias creeping in somewhere that I'm missing? Or, um, you know, is there, is there something I should be more curious about? Um, and I'm lying to myself about in this. Um, and it's, and it, you know, it's been there for, I think it was, I don't know when it came out, but, you know, it's, it's been there for a good few years next to my desk and gets used, I would say, almost daily and recommended on almost every programme that I do in the corporate world. If only the corporate world could think clearly, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> Let's send it to Boris Johnson. Oh, political <laughs> footnote. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to read. Um, <laughs> he's a classic strange. He's classic. Well, anyway, no. 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 Uh, I have to say thank you. Thank you for your extending your, what should have been an hour and a half of taking pictures yeah, to great. three hours of taking pictures and chatting. Yeah. Um, genuinely, what an absolute honour to have sat here and just talked through some of this stuff. Um there are nuggets in there for me as a family guy. There are nuggets in there, I think, for all of us as portrait photographers. And as people at work, we work in the community, at least portrait photographers do. If you're a landscape photographer, maybe less so, but, you know, for us whose daily job is to interact. Yeah. What a wonderful thing to sit and talk through. Mm. I think there's some of that was a little bit, I feel like I've just learned a little bit about myself scarily. Not sure I needed to know that I used the word tall and high <laughs> interchangeably. But nonetheless, uh, what a pleasure. The book, uh, Helen's book, is everyone included. Again, I will put uh, links to that in my the show uh, footnotes. Uh, thank you for listening and getting to the end of this podcast to all of you. Uh, once again, if you've enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. They're really, really useful. Maybe five stars. I think this is a five-star interview. I think six. <gasps> no, you can't do six. But you could put five stars and then um, like in the comments you could like... put and another star. <laughs> That's like Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 11, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> leave, us a, leave us a review. Of course, if you have questions or comments or feedback, as ever, my email address is paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. That's paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. Thank you, by the way, to the few people that have been emailing back over the past uh, couple of episodes to give us feedback. It's great. Uh, all, always, of course, great feedback. We love to hear uh, things we can change. We love to learn from. Uh, it doesn't mean I like it, but of course, you know, we use it to actually change what we're doing. I hope this podcast was interesting. Please do subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can always head over to the sort of, um, I guess, the mothership, which is masteringportraitphotography.com, where there's a ton of resources, both business and creative, for every portrait photographer and just for people who found, the interesting, found this podcast interesting. Thank you again to Helen. And remember, whatever else is going on in your life right now, be kind to yourself. Take care.